What is going on, fantasy fam? Welcome to the guest bed at my in-law's house. Welcome to the week 12 edition of Plugged In with myself, jm to win from OneWeekSeason.com, and my guest slash co-host slash uh, one of the sharpest men in fantasy, Scott Barrett of FantasyPoints.com. Scott, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, JM. How are you? I'm good. I've, uh, I don't know that we'll go the full hour today if we run out of things. My son picked up an ear infection. He got mm-hmm. like an hour of sleep after our flight on Saturday, uh, which made for fun roster constructing. And we thought he was better yesterday, but he, I, I went out there after doing my solo pod a minute ago and he was all curled up on the couch. So I abandoned him to come hang out with the peeps. But uh, yeah, my, my father-in-law's at the ER. It's been kind of a crazy week, but outside of all the health issues, doing well. How about you? Looks like you're still at home. So uh, you get to hang tight this week for Thanksgiving. Yeah. I, you know how the football season is for me. I'm, I'm no, no wife, no kids. So I'm I'm just under house arrest for (laughs) 20 something weeks in a row. But uh, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing to describe, you know, like the feeling as soon as you get uh, the week before the Super Bowl and basically the fantasy season ends, it's like, you're being led out of prison and it's just like this amazing <laughs> feeling. But like the prison is also like, you just love the prison and you're so grateful that you're in the prison. Like this is my dream job and I like love it so much, but it, it is a grind that, that definitely wears on you. I can't imagine, you know, uh, flying constantly to in-laws with sick kids on, on top of it. So that seems like- kind of, you know what the extra stuff, like the extra elements, cause I still have to get everything done. I almost enjoy it. Right. Cause it's like, like an extra little puzzle to fit together to figure out how to do everything. Like I, I got to figure out right now how to balance my microphone on my lap in bed because there's no desk to use here. Uh, so yeah, it's just, um, it's a fun stuff. Your, your recidivation rate, your recidivism rate, whatever that is, uh, it's extremely high. You get put back in prison every fall for another year of NFL. It's like the <laughs> trailer park. Good way to describe. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, how was your week 12? You played this last week right after your, your bye week? Actually, I gave myself another bye week. No so way. I was like somehow ridiculously burnt out. And then I remembered it was Thanksgiving. And like Thanksgiving is the worst week. It's always yeah. like I hit my wall because uh, it pushes everything up a day. And then I have to do more articles. So uh, guys like Jake Tribby can spend some time with their family. And uh, I was like, all right, I need this for myself. Usually Monday is my, my slow day, but I, I worked all day. Yesterday. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so uh, I took the, the the week off. I got some like plays I definitely got right. But then there were uh, a number of players who who broke the slate where I, I don't know if I would have been on uh, Jacoby Brissett against Buffalo and the Millie Maker. I got a fly, 41st place uh, slant, finishing the slant with my Brissett roster. Corderell Patterson with his nine touches and a kickoff return touchdown. Um, Tony Pollard, like I, our subs went crazy heavy on Tony Pollard this week, uh, based on the news Sunday morning that Zeke would be extremely limited, uh, but he wasn't limited. And like, I, I don't know that without that news, like I would have been into Pollard. Like I get, he's extremely talented, but I did think Zeke would still at least maintain the near end zone usage. And like, that was the case. He's, you know, Pollard scored on two touchdowns and hit the 100 yard receiving bonus. Um, Higgins. I liked, Oh, Mari Cooper on the road 
you know, I like, that's just, that narrative has made me uh, so much money this year that, you know, I, I'm sure I wouldn't have been on it, but maybe it doesn't count when your opponent's also on the road. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. A bunch of, a bunch of different plays like that. I, I don't know that this would have been a good week for me. Um, what about you, Jan? You, you had a great week, right? Yeah. And a nice week. It's, it's funny. The, we talk about this Thanksgiving week. It's, it's like a two, I wrote in the angles email this week. There's like, there's 18 main slates, right? But there are really 19 main slates because everybody loves the Thanksgiving slates from a content perspective, from a DFS play perspective, that's like an extra main slate. And so this, this, this week is like a double week of work uh, on our end. So strangely, it's strange. uh, The week before Thanksgiving in 2019, I won the wildcat Uh, on the Thanksgiving slate in 2020. I won the game changer this year, the week before Thanksgiving, uh, I finished second in the, the hundred K power sweep. Um, and had like a bunch of, I had like seven rosters in the top 200 in the slant. So something about like, yeah, it's almost like the travel stuff and how crazy everything gets. Like I, I tighten up a little bit, but I don't have as much content responsibilities you have. So I'm not as burned out as you are at this point in the season. Um, yeah, no, we had, um, so I think that one of the big edges, this is something you and I have talked about is, well, actually let's go back a little bit. A, a couple of years oh, ago. Let me, let me chime in real quick. Chime this in. is the okay. first real contrarian slate of the season like combinatorial ownership was at i don't know 75 percent this week in the winning million maker lineup uh prior to that it had been like 180 to 240 percent for i don't know seemingly 11 straight weeks well and i talked about this today in the inner circle podcast is that's a great show by the way we thank you so much we we want to focus on like avoiding fragile chalk and we want to focus on playing anti-fragile chalk and people look at chalk and they're just like, I got to move off of it. It's chalk. Or they, or they're just like, Oh, this is the best play. Let me play it. Right. And people don't, they don't filter through like which times they should be. So like a few weeks ago when there were seven chalky running backs under 7,100 and they were, there's like week nine, the Justin, the Justin Fields 5,300 week. And all these running backs were good plays. It's like, if you go outside of that pool of running backs, you not only need to get your non-chalky running back right, but you need all of these other chalky running backs to fail because like two of them will be on most rosters. Three of them will be on some rosters. And so those are the types of weeks where you just say, I just, I'm not even going to try to outsmart the field or just play the chalky guys. This is like collectively chalk running back is anti-fragile this week. Like the chalk was so fragile two weeks ago, same thing with Damon Pierce, where it was like pricing was tight and he was only chalk because of uh, how tight pricing was. And so on weeks like that, that's where you say, okay, things are fragile. So now I move off of it. Or even like, for example, this last week. Uh, so we were on, we, uh, we were on Mike, uh, not Mike, Mike Johnson was on Tony Pollard from a standpoint of like, Hey, hopefully Zeke is active and has a smaller role. Then once the news comes out that now Pollard's ownership didn't go up a ton, but once the news came out, he actually becomes like a less strong play because more people are going to be on him. Right. I, I cut my Kenyon Drake exposure in half once Edwards was inactive because Kenyon Drake is still a fragile play. Like it's still fragile chalk. It's on a, how many times have we seen a monster game from this Ravens backfield, right? Like we see one per year, maybe And like Kenyon Drake had one a couple weeks ago and it was very random. And he's like, he got the touchdowns as well. And like, you don't, they don't catch passes in this backfield. It's very rare. And so I had like 12% Kenyon Drake exposure, hoping that Gus Edwards would be active 
and then not play his full role, right? And then the moment that Gus Edwards was inactive, I cut that Kenyon Drake exposure down to like five or six percent because it was like, well, now everybody's going to be on him, and he's still a fragile play. And so this is a guy that I want to be off of. And so I think that that's something that people don't think about enough is like paying attention to what type of chalk you're dealing with. Um, another thing people don't pay attention to is how ch- what has to happen for chalk to hit. So like CD Lamb was popular this last week, but we know the Cowboys don't want to be a pass heavy offense. So if CD Lamb is hitting, it's as a result of a game environment that's forcing the Cowboys to pass a lot. So like every CD Lamb roster of mine had Justin Jefferson on it, basically saying if CD Lamb's going to have a big game, it probably requires Justin Jefferson having a big game in order to hit. And those are like these little edges that we can find that just make uh, such a big difference for us. But yeah, another another edge, and this is something that, so a couple of years ago, uh, you and you were in the OWS Discord, like a contributor chat, and Blender HD from Rotor Grinders was in there. And Blender, who's like a, a super sharp DFS player from, if you guys aren't familiar with him, he, he's at Rotor Grinders, really sharp DFS theory strategy. Uh, but he's one of these guys who doesn't know the sports, right? He just plays DFS strategy and theory. And one of the things that I've always like argued, Blender and I align on like 90% of things, but I've always argued with him that the people who know the NFL really well have an edge over the people who don't, as long as they're still playing with sound DFS strategy and theory. So one of the ways in which that's true is projection relies so heavily on Vegas lines. And I had a conversation a few years ago with a, a like a top DFS player who very clearly had no respect for me and he was like basically looking at me like I was an idiot and saying the only thing you need for playing DFS is Vegas lines. Okay, well, this last week, Steelers and Bengals opened at 42 and a half, got bet down to 39 and a half. And yet there was such a broad potential range of outcomes on that game. And I kept saying all week, would it surprise us on Sunday night if Joe Burrow was the quarterback to play on the slate? Like it wasn't going, going to surprise anyone. And yet nobody was going to play him because our, the people who play him probably by and large don't know how to put together great rosters. And the people who know how to put together great rosters aren't playing him because he's not popping in their projections. Right. So I had like 20% Joe Burrow in my large field play. I had him on one of my three, three entry rosters, uh, Joe Burrow, T Higgins. um, And uh, I forget who my bringbacks were on that row. Pat, Pat Fryermuth was my bringback on that roster. Um, My Jacoby Brissett roster, I had like three out of 150%. But there were like a lot of interesting components there, right? Of like Jacoby Brissett needs the Bills to be scoring points, but he also needs Josh Allen to not put up 30 plus. Cause what's the point of playing Brissett, taking this high risk on Brissett if Josh Allen's putting up 30 plus? So like every Brissett roster of mine had Singletary and didn't have digs. Like it had Singletary and Knox or Singletary and Gabe Davis, uh, plus Amari, plus Donovan Peoples Jones. And so it's these little things of like you've got to combine the DFS strategy and theory of like, the, the, those Jacoby percent rosters, how they were put together, but you also have to be willing to be like, oh yeah, the Bengals are third in pass rate over expectation, and they're playing a Steelers team that's good against the run and horrible against the pass, and everybody's just like, oh, the Bengals can't pass the ball with Jamar Chase out because there's been two games where they haven't done well through the air, and so it's like finding those spots is so valuable, and if you're just looking at projections, just looking at Vegas lines, you can't do that. So I, I love the balance there of being able to find these places where we can say, yeah, our superior NFL knowledge helps us with these little extra things. We still have to have the things that most, like there are a lot of people who know the NFL well and don't do well in DFS because they don't know how to put together rosters. But if you know how to put together the rosters and then apply that NFL knowledge, it it is just, I mean, it makes it so much more fun. So uh, yeah, fun week for me. And then, you know, we were heavy on the the Bengals stack and, um, and Mike was really pushing Pollard this last week. It's just like a ceiling play. Um, Like hopefully Zeke is active, but doesn't have the role. 
turned out he was active and did have the role and yet Pollard still hit, which is similar to the first Pollard chalk week, right? Where Pollard had 15 touches, but went for 30 plus points. It's almost like Pollard can just hit, right? But uh, I'm interested to see what happens on this Thanksgiving slate because everybody's going to want to play Pollard now. And yet realistically, he's still not going to touch the ball more than 14, 15 times. Um, So that's pretty fragile chalk. And yet he can put up the sort of score that can burn you for not playing him. Um, But yeah, that was my week. Um, Fun week on my end. I got a lot of things wrong as well, right? Like my main build had, uh, I I worked so hard. Like how can I fit Josh Allen, David Montgomery, Stephon Diggs, and Justin Jefferson onto a roster? Because it was almost impossible to do it. And so like if Jefferson and Diggs hit, it was a combination no one was going to have. They weren't correlated, but nobody would have that combo. And um, basically like failed to cash my main build because Jefferson scored six points. Like if he'd scored 18 to 20, um, I would have cashed in all of those high dollar tournaments as well. But, but uh, yeah, that, that second place in the, the power sweep kind of helped with the ROI quite a bit in spite of that main build uh, crashing and burning. But yeah, interesting week, fun week. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're getting into this point in the season where pricing's tight. And it just gets so much harder to build chalky rosters. So the chalk gets worse and worse. Can you guys even still see me? What is the sun going down outside? <laughs> it's like pitch black in this room, but, uh, but at least you can hear me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, love everything you just said. Um, that was like a throwback to last season where we would just each go on these, these super long monologues, but uh, we need, yeah, last year it'd be again. like, last year it'd be like 20 minutes before uh, the other <laughs> one would talk. So we've sharpened that up a little bit. Yeah, I um, definitely had some good calls. Uh, there was a lot of chalk that I didn't really understand this past week. Yeah. Josh Allen over Justin Fields and cash. Um, Damian Pierce is like a must cash play. It didn't make sense to me. A bunch of other stuff like that. But then again, I, there's like so much variance in this game. Like, you know, Joe Mixon goes down. Samaj P. Ryan uh, scores three touchdowns. Um, uh, things you things you get right, like uh, uh, or you just don't see coming, like Antonio Gibson, the Washington just going back to him in the sort of workload he had last season, rather than more of a committee in Brian Robinson's favor. David and Joku being limited on a snap count, things like that. You you just um, you, you you don't really see or Cordell Patterson scoring a touchdown on special teams like I mean Patterson still has like low, but it can 18 fantasy points or something didn't he like he didn't like break the slate or anything right no he just he just wound up on the the winning Millie maker lineup but it, there's okay. there's things like that where there's uh you know it's, there's a lot of variance to it but uh, but you could be right it's just important to be right on the sort of power law players who can make or break the slate um like a, an Amari Cooper this week, uh, which which I wasn't on, or CeeDee Lamb the week before that, which I wasn't on. Um, but, uh, well, let's that's, talk about that's, Washington yeah. backfield. I thought, I thought that was interesting because Gibson was getting touches. Okay, le- last night, Christian McCaffrey gets all the touches in the first half when the 49ers are like in the game passing the ball. And then they bring in Eli Mitchell, almost like their closer, right? And he's just getting all the carries. And that was kind of how Washington had been employing things with Gibson and Robinson. Like Robinson was getting the ground and pound touches. If Washington had a lead, Robinson was seeing those touches. And then this week, Gibson was getting second half touches. Obviously, J.D. McKissick could come back and throw another wrench into things. But uh, are you kind of 
readjusting your view on that backfield at all. I thought that was super interesting. We talked about that backfield last week and I, I mentioned Brian Robinson. I ended up playing very little of him. He was 20% owned in a lot of tournaments, wow. which is crazy. It's just, you know, limited salary available. It's like, well, this guy has a role. Um, and then Antonio Gibson was like sub 8%. I had more Gibson than Robinson, which you forecasted last week uh, on our show. Um, but yeah, just that more dynamic role. And so, um, yeah, any thoughts on that backfield? Yeah, so I, I, I'm equipped to answer like any looking forward questions because uh, I wrote about 80% of the XFP report yesterday uh, when usually I, I take Monday as my, my rest day. But uh, yeah, I, um, I, with the caveat of until J.D. McKissick comes back, if he does, uh, I'm open to the idea that Washington is just abandoning the Brian Robinson experiment because, again, he has looked terrible on his touches and yeah and that's like no fault to him the the guy was shot just you know what seven weeks ago uh twice in the leg um but yeah he he played on a antonio gibson played on a season high 68 percent of the snaps 64 percent route share that ranked third most on the week uh had all the targets 18 of 33 carries and this is like very similar to who he was last year without jd mckissick um he was the RB11 over his final five full games, uh, despite handling just 60% of the carries and 60% of the targets out of the backfield. Uh, they did go very run heavy and game script was pretty good. And it seems like Washington is sort of coming into their own, or at least they've run very good over the last two weeks. And so, uh, yeah, I'm open to the idea of him being a mid-range RB2 until uh, McKissick comes back, if he does. Yeah, and they're playing the Falcons this next next week, which we've seen Falcons games against like Falcons game against the Browns, right? The Falcons I think had only four wide receivers active that week. Uh, now Kyle Pitts is out. We know what the Falcons are going to do. They're going to run the ball, and uh, that should allow Washington and Washington, Washington's second in run defense DVOA at least heading into this last week. Nothing should have changed that, uh, and so that's a tough spot then for the Falcons to really put up points with kind of their one dimensional offense, and so. Uh, I think that's a week where we could see Antonio Gibson be a nice piece once again. Uh, any thoughts on that? On who? Uh, Antonio Gibson uh, against the Falcons this next week. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I haven't looked at his pricing, but I meant to. Oh, I'm sure it's um, sub 6K. Exactly. Well, I, I'm seeing a lot of really good that. Yeah, so he's uh, 5,400 RB22 right behind Isaiah Pacheco. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of like really terrific value this week. And I, I don't know uh, if everyone else is going to gravitate towards it. I'm seeing like the best running back play and the best wide receiver play of the slate standing out by a mile, but there are a lot of good plays. You want to guess who I think the best running back play is? It's a fun little game. Uh, yeah. Let me take a stab at, Oh, I don't know. It's not Isaiah Pacheco. It's not one of these higher priced guys. I'll Is give you Kenneth a hint. Walker? Kenneth Walker is like 6,900 or something. Give me, I'll oh, give Jeff Wilson. Hint. Is it Jeff I'll Wilson? Give you a hint. Okay. That was my he's guess. Ter- yeah, Jeff Wilson is very up there. He's, he's terrible at football. <laughs> and I love him this week. Uh, Samaje Pirine? Uh, it's Latavius Murray. <laughs> no. Hell yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not against it. I, um, I'm not against it. Hey, what about Rashad White? Is, is, is that going to flip in 
Tampa or is because I was I made a note last week about uh, Rashad White might be interesting this week, but Leonard Fournette they said he's going to play in Week Twelve. Uh, obviously, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but uh, any thoughts on that situation? Yeah, I, I, t- I talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago. I, I think uh, it's going to be a 50-50 committee somewhere around there because uh, he did get that. He got the start, uh, and that's what Jeremy Fowler said was going to happen. They want him to get more work, but it, it was like a 55-45 committee until the injury. Uh, I think there's a chance, you know, he just, you know, is excellent, is hyper-efficient, and he runs away with the job, but I think we're going to be – many weeks away from that. Just with uh, Latavius Murray, I wanted to say Melvin Gordon's no longer on the team. Chase Edmonds is out uh, at least a few weeks with a high ankle sprain. He has a great matchup. Uh, and, and super importantly to me, this is now a Kubiak-led offense. Gary Kubiak's son. Yeah. And, Kubiak. yeah. and Gary Kubiak was like one of the all-time RB goats. Like his offense has ranked top 12 in rushing yards every season of his career, top five, 10 of 13 seasons. Uh, so that gets me excited. Um, yeah. I actually, when, when they said that Clint was going to be calling plays this last week, I was even like, man, I wonder if I can play a Broncos running back. And then it was like, no, nah, I can't. Um, but that was before Melvin Gordon was cut. Melvin Gordon was cut after chase, after the chase Edmonds injury, which means that they were basically like, Hey, we're just going to roll with Latavius Murray here. Do they have uh, who's behind Latavius Murray on that roster? Marlon Mack and no one else. Oh, that's roster. right. Marlon Mack. Yeah. Does he, does he strike fear into your heart? No, but you know, like I have always liked Marlon Mack as like a one cut and go runner, but they haven't been giving him touches. So clearly they don't see him as like, he's on a threat to Latavius Murray. It's just, it's just a crazy situation for Latavius Murray to not be on a roster to start the season, get be on the saints for one game and be cut by them. And then the Broncos were like, cool, we've got our, our lead back now. But no, like I really like that. And what's interesting too is last week with no value available, uh, like projections and optimizers, we're trying to push Latavius Murray onto my build with Melvin Gordon still on the team. It was just like, well, there's no value. So here's Latavius Murray. And uh, like I was like, well, let's cut him out of my player pool so that that stops happening, right? And I feel like that's kind of the way that people will see the situation. I don't think that he's a guy people will want to go to if he's – if he becomes super popular, then he's one of those pieces of like fragile chalk where you're like, yeah, but he can also just completely bomb and we can go a different direction. But if he's like sub 15% owned, sub 12% owned, uh, I think that's a super interesting play this next week. Um, yeah. Jeff Wilson thoughts there with that uh, Miami backfield. Uh, yeah. I'm super bullish on him. Uh, he seems well ahead of Raheem Mostert in his first game with the team, just like days after you know, flying out there. Uh, he had 55% of the team's backfield XFP, and then that jumped to 66% in week 10. He had 17 carries, six targets. Uh, that's easy RB1 volume. Uh, this is an offense you want a piece of every single right, week right. in DFS. It's easily one of the top three offenses in football to me. Uh, he's been hyper-efficient, 6.5 yards per carry. Uh, this is a familiar scheme. And this is the Shanahan run scheme that lends itself towards hyper efficiency. And then obviously he's up against Houston. So he's clearly one of the best plays of the slate to me priced at just 5,900. Yeah. And I always want to look at where a coach is going to lean with their play calling. And one of the things we've seen with Houston is uh, bottom three or bottom four opponent pass play rate in the NFL. Houston's past defense ranks like bottom eight in DVOA 
but it's just that it's so easy to run against them and Houston's so unlikely to score points on the other side. The teams just tilt all of their play calling toward the run. And so I could see, you know, obviously Tyree Kill can hit, Jamin Waddle can hit, but at their price tags, I can see them really underwhelming this next week just because the game flow and the play calling could could lend. So that's why like this last week, Terry McLaurin chalk against Houston, to me it was like, well, why go there when you know that Washington wants to run the ball and that teams run the ball against the Texans? And the only way McLaurin's seeing hefty volume is if this game goes a different direction. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's a really interesting spot this next week, Jeff Wilson. And, and he's one of those guys who – even me knowing all this stuff when I was getting an early sense of the main slate this next week, it was like, yeah, this seems too easy, right? Like this seems like I must be missing something. And so then you kind of, you move on from the Jeff Wilson play, but uh, I love, I love you having those thoughts on it because I do think that it's super, uh, it's super interesting spot. And if we can get him at 5,900 and that opens up a lot of other things on the slate, then that's a really nice way to play uh, this next slate. Speaking of guys whose roles are expanding, any thoughts on Kyron Williams? I know that that offense as a whole is just atrocious, but it does seem like he's going to keep seeing a larger and larger role week in and week out. Yeah, I have, I have no interest. Uh, per Jordan Rodriguez, uh, Henderson suffered a knee injury during pregame warmups, so that's why uh, he didn't really play at all. The offense stinks. The offensive line is generationally bad. The Rams have scored the fewest team running back fantasy points by a whopping 26%. They've had zero running backs exceed 13.2 fantasy points in any game this season. So uh, really just no interest in any Rams running back probably for the rest of the season. Okay. Well, rain on that parade for me. Why don't you? <laughs> uh, and then another question is, uh, and then I want to, I want to talk about this Thanksgiving slate a little bit too, because I know. The people uh, I, I have that. one more for you too. Uh, another question I have for you then is the Ravens offense. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, but then also just, I mean, 13 points against the Panthers, that's pretty ugly. That's pretty concerning. So any thoughts on that offense as a whole? And then uh, Demarcus Robinson in particular, because this is two out of three weeks that Demarcus Robinson's seen big usage and put up nice score. And, and, you know, he's one of those players who, I mean, I was, you know, I was chest deep in the slate this last week and like he was never on my radar. And then I see him on like, 1.3% 1.3% of builds, right? And like putting up big points. And it's like, man, we all were just not thinking about this guy. Uh, so any thoughts on on him kind of in this lead wide receiver role for the Ravens? Yeah, so the only, uh, I don't really know what's going on with the Ravens, but you can make an easy case that, right, Lamar Jackson was sick all week. He didn't practice on Friday. Mark Andrews is still, you know, very banged up with multiple injuries. Uh, but, you know, get them both healthy and they're back to being, uh, you know, as as exciting as they were earlier in the season. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on him. And this leads me to my next point. So he caught nine of nine targets for 128 yards. Uh, he's seen a, an increasing route share from 44% to 68% to 87%. Uh, he ranks eighth in targets per route run over those three games. Uh, if you give him just one target, he's led the team in targets in all three of those games, though granted Andrews was out for a spell. Uh, he has a great matchup this week uh, um, up against the Jaguars. And so I, a couple of weeks ago, you know, I was looking at, or a couple of day, days ago, I was look, or yesterday, I was looking at the pricing and it's like, okay, Nicole Hardman, 4,500, Canarius Tony's hurt. He was a wide receiver one in fantasy points per game over his prior, whatever, four or five games. 
Demarcus Robinson's 4,300. Traylon Burks is 4,200. Julio Jones is 4,000. And there's like a couple other names there. But one stands out to me as the best player to sleep. And that's Garrett Wilson. I'm really excited about Garrett Wilson. I just tweeted out a stat. Uh, it was catchable passes thrown per start. Joe Flacco's at 42.7, which is like most among all quarterbacks. You know, maybe that's not sustainable, but 42.7. Zach Wilson is at half that. He ranks 32nd, just above Marcus Mariota with 21.7. And everyone in my replies was like, do it on a per, per pass attempt basis. Like, what does this stat mean? And it's like, all right, agreed. Like, if I wanted to show you how much more efficient Joe Flacco is than Zach Wilson, that's the stat. It's not what I'm trying to show you. I'm trying to show you Garrett Wilson is the best play of the slate. Where like, more or less, you could kind of just double his projection if Joe Flacco is starting. Uh, Over the first three weeks of the season, Garrett Wilson's first three games of his career, he ranked top seven in first read targets, ranked top 12 in total targets, despite running a route on just like 68% of the team's dropbacks top 12 in tar- targets per route run yards per route run. And so, uh, yeah, he really stands out to me as a potential slave breaker. How, how likely do you think it is that they make that quarterback change? I don't know. I mean, like, uh, the head coach really threw him under the bus. They're like, yeah, you know, we're going to look into making all these changes. And this was after Zach Wilson was like, no, nah, no, nah, it's not my fault. It's not on me. And then you have the wide receivers tweeting out and favoriting passive aggressive tweets. Uh, I, I can see, I can see a 50, 50. Yeah. Granted Zach Wilson starts, you know, you're not going to play Garrett Wilson, but, but if not, I mean, I'm going to be all in. Yeah. I like your, uh, I like that stat because one of the things that we want to think about is how coaches are going to call a game with no Brees Hall. They, they will be perfectly happy to tilt more pass heavy if they have Joe Flacco in there. So it doesn't matter the per, like the, the per attempt numbers. What matters is the fact that they're going to pass more and Joe Flacco is going to be better on those pass attempts uh, because this is a team that, that, you know, they were one of the most pass heavy teams in the NFL to start the season. And then Brees Hall really got his flow going and Zach Wilson came back and it was like, well, let's hide Zach Wilson. Let's ride Brees Hall. Brees Hall got hurt. And it was like, well, we still have to hide Zach Wilson, right? So let's play defense and hide Zach Wilson ball. But if they can, like they're six and four and and they have a shot, they're in a really tough AFC, right? Right now, there would be a, one of these teams with a winning record that would miss the playoffs. And so they're in this tough AFC where it's like, hey, they have to keep pace. They have to keep winning games. And they don't want to give up this shot at their first playoff appearance in however long since the Rex Ryan years, right? And so I could see them throwing in the towel on this Zach Wilson thing, at least for this year. And making a move. And if that happens, I definitely agree with you uh, that Garrett Wilson is extremely sharp. And I liked, you know, I liked Garrett Wilson this last week if he was going to be low owned, right. But he was super chalky. And then it was another spot where it's like, this is pretty fragile chalk and pretty easy for me to say. Uh, I think I had like 3% Garrett Wilson, obviously didn't have him on my, uh, on my main rosters because like you still got Zach Wilson at quarterback with the Patriots pass rush coming after them. Uh, speaking of the Patriots pass rush, uh, Christian Derisaw is going to miss for the Vikings this week. We we know that Kirk Cousins under pressure is a very different quarterback than Kirk Cousins not under pressure. That's the case for every quarterback in the NFL, but more so for Cousins than for most. 
Uh, so let's start there on the Thanksgiving slate. Any any quick thoughts on um, on that game, right? Like man coverage for Justin Jefferson, that's great. And we've seen the Patriots like lack of willingness to move to a zone heavy scheme. They let Lamar Jackson run all over them. They let Justin Fields run all over them because of how much man coverage they were playing. And so that's great for Justin Jefferson. But does Kirk Cousins have the time to throw the ball? Does this become a spot where uh, Justin Jefferson is one of the higher priced guys on the slate? It's kind of a guy that on this Thanksgiving slate, we're like, eh, maybe not going there, maybe going a different direction. Yeah, this is also a brutal matchup. Uh, the Patriots have been like they look on paper just as strong uh, as as they've ever been, you know. And like we've seen some really elite Patriots defenses. They held Sam Ellinger to 103 passing yards, and Zach Wilson at 77 passing yards. And like granted, those quarterbacks stink, but that was just the second time since like 1967 a defense has held teams back to back under 150 passing yards. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I could see that game being a really ugly, you know, sort of slop fest. Uh, definitely not one that gets me too excited. Yeah. And then we've got uh, on the Patriots side, you've got the backfield where I think that people just won't, we see it on the, on these small slates, right. Where people just like chalk becomes 80, 80% owned. And there's like starters, guys who can score multiple touchdowns who are, like 10% owned, 12%, 15% owned. I could see a guy like Damian Harris putting up two touchdowns in this spot or Ramondre Stevenson putting up a big game and just nobody being on him in that night game. I think that one's really interesting. So if people are not paying up for Justin Jefferson at wide receiver, the other options are C.D. Lamb, Amon Ra, St. Brown, Stefan Diggs. Uh, Stefan Diggs, it appeared that he was kind of upset with his usage in the first half of that Bills game. They emphasized him a little bit more in the second half of this game in week 11, uh, taking on the Lions' pass defense. Uh, I think that Josh Allen will be popular. Stephon Diggs will be popular. But when we look at the other quarterbacks on the slate, right, Kirk Cousins, Mac Jones, Jared Goff, uh, Daniel Jones, the Cowboys in the game that they're favored to win by quite a bit. Uh, Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs seems really sharp, and I think that it could be a little bit under-owned compared to the likelihood of it being the best pairing on the slate just because people like to play C.D. Lamb and people like to play Dak Prescott and people might be a little bit nervous about this Bills offense right now. Are you a little bit nervous about this Bills offense? I guess they don't even have to travel, right? They just get to stay in Detroit this week and uh, prep for this game uh, against the Lions in a dome once again. So any thoughts on um, on those top other top wide receivers, quarterback pairings, all that stuff? Yeah, I think we should be a little hesitant with Josh Allen uh I think he had like the lowest rushing yards he's ever had in his career or damn close to that under, under 10 last week Uh, from weeks one through six, he ranked second best in passer rating fifth best in off target throw rate. Uh, Since week seven, he ranks worst in passer rating third worst in off target throw rate. Uh, And so this injury may be getting to him or it could be something else as it sort of predates when that injury occurred. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, it's a perfect matchup. It's in the dome. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's the hole you want to poke in him if he's going to be mega chalky. I will also say with Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, I would like him more if Josh Reynolds is back this week. Because we've seen when Chark was out and then also Reynolds was out, they moved him more outside. But part of the reason why I was so high on – Amon Ross St. Brown this year was 
There's also the Ben Johnson slot role. He just like loves the slot, talks about how it's so hard to game plan against the slot. And so rather than being like 50-50 slot out wide, if Reynolds comes back, I could see him being, you know, 70-30, 80-20 in the slot. Um, but regardless, I mean, uh, we need to talk about this. You know, we've always been like, this Bills defense is hyper elite. And maybe Tredavious White comes back, maybe maybe not. But uh, I did look at Amari Cooper. I did look at DPJ this past week because all the numbers were saying like, no, this is a bottom 10 cornerback uh, core against outside wide receivers, which is not something we've ever seen from the Bills. And then both those guys hit big. And so, um, you know, maybe this is a much softer matchup than, than people are thinking right now. Yeah, you know what? That's a good point. I haven't – I don't think that I've highlighted or emphasized that enough. Um, you were the first person who really, like, even brought it to my attention last week when I – whoever I had played against the Bills – uh, last week and you were like, oh, I thought that you had the, oh, it was Justin Jefferson. You're like, I thought you had the no wide receivers against the Bills rule. And it's been like five years. I've just been like, I just don't play wide receivers against the Bills. And then with the Justin Jefferson one, it was it was weird. I didn't really overemphasize it or talk about it much because I, I didn't even think about it. It was just like, okay, the Bills can't stop Justin Jefferson. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, uh, and then same thing this last week, right? Like typically if I'm stacking up the Bills, I'm going to say Bills smash and I don't have a bring back. But this last week, I had a, a rule of one bring back on every Bills roster. So I had Najoku or Amari or DJ on every Bills roster. So my Bills rosters were what killed me as a, like the Josh Allen Diggs or Josh Allen Gabe Davis was what killed me as opposed to the bring back uh, where I was getting points on those bring backs. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's these things are dynamic, right? The Bills are not just banged up in the secondary. They're kind of banged up everywhere. But uh, I don't think that the Bills are a defense that I'm avoiding right now and you know, Buffalo's favored by nine and a half, but that seems pretty hefty. This seems like the type of spot where the Lions could play this game a whole lot closer than that. In fact, I'll say the same thing about Dallas. Dallas is favored by nine. It won't surprise me. You know, I was looking through uh, available prop bets that were posted early uh, and all this up for Thursday is these Cowboys and Giants. And I was like, you know what? I'm not taking a single prop bet from this game because there's like th- this game environment is so unpredictable, right? We've seen the Giants defense just figure out ways to slow down opponents. We've seen the Giants figure out ways to stay in games, but they can't score a lot of points. And so, uh, yeah, I think both those games could play a little bit closer than people are probably expecting. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea what to do with the Giants, like my favorite team. They're just uh, – uh, I get texts like every week. I mean, let, not not so much recently or after their last loss, but my Giants fans are like, how about these Giants? We're going to run the table. And it's just like, listen, like, I still don't think this is a good team. I have no idea how they're winning, but but here we are. Uh, yeah, I think this game could be a lot closer than Vegas suggests. I, I will say Darius Slayton uh, definitely stands out to me without Londale Robinson uh, because not only is he seeing really good volume, but he's been quietly amazing. He ranks top six in yards per target, top six in depth-adjusted yards per target, top six in ESPN's like open rate. Uh, how good a wide receiver is at getting open. And they just like really have no one else to throw the ball to. Sure. It's not a great matchup, but they just really yeah, have did, no one else. To throw the ball did to. Darius Slayton kill the, the Mars dogs or something? Like what is the deal? This guy was good when he was playing a couple of years ago and then just got buried on the depth chart on a team with no pass catchers. Uh, yeah. I mean, I love seeing Darius Slayton getting, he was one of those guys who I was like, 
you know, drafting heavily in best ball a couple of years ago. And then, and then he like didn't play all year. And you're just like, it was like, what happened to Darius? Like, but yeah, no, I, I really like that call. And I think that he's uh, his price. I haven't, I, I haven't registered yet what his price is for this Thursday, but his price is like higher than people really want to pay for a giants wide receiver. You know, he was 5k this last week on the main slate and just, pretty low owned because it's like, well, who wants to pay 5k for a Giants wide receiver with Daniel Jones throwing them the ball. So um, no, I like that. I also, you know, one if thing he I was just is, 100 cheaper, I would have like really liked him. It's just like the visual component to seeing him. in the Yeah. 5k range. range. Exactly. The, the pricing psychology there is super interesting. Um, you know, another one that I want to bring up speaking of pricing. So DraftKings has made a concession. It seems to the fact that a lot of casual players play the Thanksgiving slate. Uh, Josh Allen's price has dropped. Justin Jefferson's down in like the low eight Ks. Stefan Diggs price has dropped. I don't dropped. know that Just, Justin Jefferson is healthy, by the way. I think that's a key really yeah. interesting. Okay, uh, the uh, Gabe Davis is fifty three hundred this week, uh, which I kind of don't like, right? Because if he's sixty one hundred, then people are going to be like, I can't pay that price tag on him, and then he's low owned, and you can maybe target this blow up game. Now he becomes like this Will Fuller situation where. A bunch of people might have him, but also like he can put up a 40 pointer that you had to have in order to compete on the slate. Um, but a lot of a lot of interesting pricing changes where DraftKings has been like, hey, let's loosen things up a little bit this week for the casual players. Uh, so any thoughts on Gabe Davis against the Lions? I know that we typically can't bank on more than like three to five targets, but three to five targets against the Lions is still him to go for like 110 yards and two touchdowns, right? I like Gabe Davis. I like him a lot. Um, I, I will say, by the way, uh, Justin Jefferson dealing with a mild case of turf toe, but that, you know, you could use that as an explanation to fade him. Like, oh, maybe maybe that's why he underwhelmed last week. Uh, but yeah, Gabe Davis, I think, I think we're kind of overstating his ceiling to floor. If we assume Josh Allen is, you know, back to full health or uh, – I mean, like, let's like, yeah, granted he hasn't played well, but even like bad games for Josh Allen are still typically, you know, 25 fantasy points. And he's made some amazing throws in addition to some of the turnover worthy throws we've seen. Um, But yeah, if you exclude weeks three to four, where Gabe Davis was, was still dealing with an injury, he averages over 20 fantasy points per game over his last eight games. Uh, he hit at least 16.4 fantasy points in in uh, five or six of those eight games. Uh, and then, yeah, so, like, if you look at it that way, he, he's a top value, and he's should be, I don't know, 6,800 or 7,200 instead of 5,300. Um, he just also has those massive boom games. I mean, granted, I'm, I'm, I'm adding in that Chiefs playoff game into these numbers, but um, – I, I like him. I, I, I like him a lot. Sure, we do know his role, and it lends itself towards volatility, where uh, he's getting thrown these like target volume is a lot less than Stefan Diggs. Uh, Allen is really careful about picking these spots, but when he does throw it to him, it's typically when he's has more than a step of separation on a deep throw, and like, hey, if he just gets three of those, he could really break the slate. Yeah, deepest average depth of target among qualified receivers in the NFL. And I honestly, I'd, it's a long season. I'd completely forgotten about the fact that he was banged up for a couple of games there. And so that's an interesting point uh, that you bring up. Man, Scott, I know that your Wednesdays are super busy in season, but I love doing this uh, podcast after you've done like XFP stuff and looked forward 
uh, be interesting to maybe talk about shifting. If uh, move to Wednesday, I'm like, I'm so down to do that. I, I always feel like, uh, you know, you have to, you have to put the show on your, your back because. Well, it's funny. We, our original intention was like, uh, like a Monday DFS recap pod because there's just not a lot of early week content. And then we realized, Oh, people don't really want to listen to Monday, like recap stuff. Anyway, we moved to Tuesday, but uh, yeah, no, I think, I think like a midweek pod where we kind of touch on the previous week and then look forward uh, would actually, I mean, I think that'd be really fun. And I think it really helps us get our feet under us in terms of like, you know, so much early in the week compared to what, other people know early in the week. So um, yeah, I really like that idea. I'll, uh, I'll write that down and then, and then I'll remind you of this week 12 podcast where you said that we could do that. If you say that you're too busy on Wednesdays, I'll be like, no, no, no. The, the judge and jury are here. You said that we could do this. Um, any other thoughts on, on any of these teams, any of these situations, Thanksgiving slate um, games, player usage, anything, anything like that. Uh, I don't have anything else on my end. Uh, I keep coming back to my my Schultz Lamb splits, where okay, Lamb broke the slate two weeks ago, but prior to that, under Dak Prescott's last ten or their their average yards per game in Dak Prescott's in their last ten starts with Dak Prescott, they're basically the same player. It's like seventy four yards per game to seventy one yards per game. Uh, so I, I'd say don't sleep on on Dalton Schultz. I think like every week. Uh, ownership overrates Lamb, and that really did kill me two weeks ago. But every other week, that really worked in my favor. Um, Jacoby Myers, I still think, is underrated. Uh, The Vikings are the worst defense in the league against outside wide receivers. I think they're somewhere around neutral to the slot, but uh, his usage is really good. Oh, Ramondre Stevenson. To me, he is looking like 75% 66% 66% LeGarrette Blunt and 100% James White, which means that's like an insanely valuable work, yep. even though yep. maybe that. Um, uh, TJ Hawkinson, man, he might, he might push Mark Andrews to be the overall tight end too. He's looking like an oligarch tight end to me where there's maybe only three tight ends that matter and the rest are all peasants ruled by this oligarchical class. Uh, just obscene usage the last three weeks since he joined the team, basically nine targets every single week, basically leading all non-Kelsey tight ends and XFP every single week. Uh, ridiculously good route share, target share. I think he's already supplanted Thielen as the wide receiver too. Agreed. Yeah, uh, I like that. Yeah, and, on the, and I, I would even throw, it's funny because the pricing psychology tells us something different, but I would throw Schultz into that mix as like, there's four, right? Because Schultz finished third among fantasy points, uh, among tight ends and fantasy points last year. And maybe he's not, I mean, he doesn't have the usage of like Hawkinson, but he's, he's not being, he's a, he's like a Duke. He's got some land and he's got some peasants under him. Like he's not up there with the top three, but he's also not in this, in this category of like guys. Who he's like a wealthy. Yeah. He and, he and Njoku are, uh, are wealthy merchants who are like, oh, not there at the top, but they're, they're part of this, uh, this class that's still like different from the bottom tier. And then, yeah. And then the rest of it's like, and I think that what's one of the things that we're going to see on Thanksgiving slate is people trying to get sneaky with tight end, but Hawkinson and Schultz are there. And I think it's like, well, just play one of these guys and be different somewhere else. There's going to be more fragile chalk than those guys, in my opinion. Now watch 
uh, like Hunter Henry go out and get two touchdowns or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the spots where, you know, having two of these guys on a slate, it is very, um, it's very much worth paying attention to what their roles are. I mean, Hawkinson's role has been nuts since he joined the Vikings. I, I have one last question for you regarding the slate. And I, I don't have an answer, but uh, my guy, Jay Tribby is doing the Thanksgiving slate breakdown. And I'll, I'll spend a lot of time with that article uh, critiquing it, editing it and stuff like that. It's going to be awesome. Be on the lookout for that fantasy point subscribers, but he's also our resident meme king. His, his meme game is, is top notch. And he's tweeted about a 4,400 James Cook at least three times. Uh, so I know that he's going to be playing quite a bit of him. Where are you at on James Cook, 4,400 as a salary saver? So James Cook is the same thing I talked about with Kyron Williams, where if a player's role increases, like I like to assume that their role might increase again the next week, kind of behind the scenes. So like James Cook was getting – for the first time really was getting touches when the game, like serious touches when the game was in doubt. So I actually like that as uh, I mean, I think it's like a high risk upside play. Um, but no, I, I think that that's sharp. I think that it's interesting. I think that that's a place where we can be different on a slate where running back isn't necessarily going to be like that bankable of production. There could be like, can James cook put up 30 points? No, but um, maybe some of these other running backs, maybe like most of them don't top 15 to 20 and James Cook puts up that same type of score for a much lower price tag. So he's not a guy that I'm like, oh, I'm all in on this guy. But he's definitely a guy who's on my radar as somebody who's interesting on that Thanksgiving slate. Can we, can we talk a little bit about ghosts of Thanksgiving's past? LeGarrette Blunt? No, what happened with LeGarrette, LeGarrette Blunt? LeGarrette Blunt scoring three three touchdowns or whatever it was. Uh, oh, right. I do remember that. And it was against it was against the Patriots, right? Who the Patriots six of the last seven years have been top two and fewest running back rushing touchdowns allowed, and uh, and he went out and put up, or maybe it was against the Bears, it was against somebody, and it was just like really Legarrette Blunt. But uh, no, what other ghosts of Thanksgiving past? I remember the the Calvin Johnson Thanksgiving narrative. I think he averages like thirty three fantasy points per game in his career on Thanksgiving. But uh, I really vividly remember the two things that like ruined my Thanksgiving. One was uh, uh, back when Johnny and I used to do the power hour, um, like really early stages of my career, we had on uh, Rummy as like one of our first high profile guests. And we talked about the slate and I was like, Jordan Reed is the best play of the slate. And Johnny was like, hell yeah i am all in on jordan reed best play of the slate and rummy goes yeah i'm not gonna play him he's i i, I just have a feeling he's gonna get hurt mid-game and i was like what you can't you can't predict like a mid-game that's like you can with jordan reed and then lo and behold jordan reed caught like his second target in the first quarter suffered a concussion as, and was out the rest of the game and then i remember uh uh i think it was 2017 robbie anderson who I was always like, oh, Robbie Anderson stinks. He's overrated. Had like a worst possible cornerback matchup uh, against like a top shelf corner who was amazing all year. And then he breaks the slate with like two or three touchdowns and 150 yards. And just like, you know, I, I'm, I'm at the Thanksgiving table and my grandmother's like, it's, it's three o'clock. Why are you hammered and, and crying? <laughs> no, I'm just like, I, I, I was writing yeah. all day. It wasn't with my grandmother. Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving slates are so funky because the, everybody plays the slate and then there's only three games to choose from. So these guys who 
if they hit on the main slate, they'd be, you know, 0.2% owned probably on bad rosters, but they hit on Thanksgiving and they're like 12% owned, you know, it's like, yeah, the, the whatever random guy scores multiple touchdowns or has these big plays on the Thanksgiving slate, uh, you know, Antonio Gibson had his best career game on a, on a Thanksgiving slate, although it was a, a 2020 slate where everybody was on Zeke. Zeke was like 80% owned and everyone was on Zeke Cowboys defense. Andy Dalton was playing quarterback that week for the, the Cowboys. And it was like, Oh, the Cowboys will dominate and just keep the ball on the ground. And it was like, yeah, probably. But what if that doesn't happen? <laughs> and so I went Antonio Gibson and Washington defense and Washington won the game 41 to 16. Right. Cause then once Washington got the lead, they could pin their ears back against Dalton. Uh, and, and Zeke had like 3.7 fantasy points or something like that. So uh, sometimes we can find those that work in our favor. Most of the time we can't. Most of the time it's LeGarrette Blunt or Robbie Anderson or, uh, man, Jordan Reed got hurt so much. But he was awesome whenever he was healthy. Uh, but, yeah, I'm uh, I'm always excited for the Thanksgiving slate. I always think I'm not going to play it. And then because I'm like, oh, I got to be a, be ahead of things for the Sunday slate. And then by, like, Wednesday night I'm like, oh, no, I'll put in the roster. I've already done all this work for it. So, uh, yeah, it should be fun to either uh, lose big or win big on, on Thursday. I, I just thought of someone I wanted to bring up earlier in the show. Uh, Jamal Williams. All he oh does God, is score, score touchdowns. multiple touchdowns or zero touchdowns. Still can't hit four X's salary. He got three touchdowns last week and like 22 fantasy points. But uh, yeah, he's, I mean, that's literally like you're betting on whether or not he gets the touchdowns this week. I think I said on our show that felt like a JM play because he's going to be like 3%, but he's shown he has like, 30% chance of scoring multiple touchdowns. Yeah, and on a, on a no week where there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of ceiling available at the running back position, like it it made sense. I had none of him, but uh this week I'm hoping that that people will take that and he's like 60% owned and then he doesn't get the touchdowns and puts up 10 points, but uh more than likely what's going to happen is he'll be 60% owned and score four times and bury me for not playing him. Um all right, with that, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go cuddle my son and hope that his Aww. ear infection gets better. Uh, but we will see you back here next week. We will see you on Wednesdays next season. Scott said it. We're locking it in. <laughs> and we will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Thursday and on Sunday.